0: Memorable moments times and places where you can remember exactly where you were when something happened and uh, you just remember the events surrounding that Uh, This camp video just reminds me takes me back to August the 4th 1995 I know exactly where I was a memorable moment. I was standing in the uh, Family Life Center at First Baptist Church in Clarksville, Tennessee We had just come back from Hillmont camp we're unloading trucks and unpacking someone said you've got a phone call that meant i had to leave where i was and go to a landline that's back when we had landlines you know we had to go actually take that call and it was a young lady by the name of amanda Amanda had uh, stayed home from camp. She was a senior in high school and stayed home from camp instead of working as a camp counselor. She stayed home with my wife because she was very pregnant with uh, Samuel, our third son. And she said, you should come home. Your wife is in labor. So I dropped what I was doing from all the camp stuff and said, y'all can finish this. I'm gone. So we, I headed home, got her and we rushed off to Nashville, Tennessee. And soon thereafter, uh, Samuel, our third son was born. Now there's a picture of him coming up, but that's not, that's not him when he was born. He wasn't that old when he was born, but uh, he was born as a little tiny infant, but there's a a cute picture of Samuel. And uh, that that picture and that image reminds me that 24 years later, look how things have changed. Next picture. Oh my goodness. He's a grown uh, young self-employed man running his own business now. And so a lot takes place. He's up there. Happy birthday. A lot takes place in our lives. Over the course of this many years, and and really, it is that God has made us in such a way, created us in a way that uh, the DNA in our body is uh, gives direction to our cells to duplicate and to multiply under the right circumstances. When we have nutrition, when we have food and water, and we have care and all those kinds of things, uh, look what happens. We can look at that picture and say, "Wow, he's physically grown a lot." Memorable moments. I remember that day and that time and that place. There are other memorable moments. Our text today takes us to a memorable moment in church history, not about the birth of a child, but about the birth of a church. Acts chapter 1, you see another memorable moment in the life of the church. I want you to read with me as I um, read through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning, and then we're going to read other selected texts throughout the morning. But I want you to think about this memorable moment in the life of the church. Luke writes in this uh, book, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken uh, up after, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God." if you're making notes, you might just want to write in your Bible beside that the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke, the author of this book, says, hey, in the previous document, in the previous account, the letter that I wrote earlier, the Gospel of Luke, what I was talking about was what Jesus did in his physical body, the things that Jesus began to do and the things that he began to say during his earthly ministry. And what he's going to write in the, in the pages that follow are going to be the things that happen through Christ's spiritual body, known as the church. Jesus is meeting with the disciples, even in this, uh, as we're reading here, verse 11, the risen Jesus says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but instead to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. this passage of scripture uh, is, is a fascinating moment of this glimpse of this memorable moment in the life of the church. Jesus has already died, been buried, crucified, and raised to new life. He has been with the disciples now for more than 40 days, and they've followed his instruction to go to Jerusalem. Now they've gathered together in this upper room, and he's meeting with them. And he's telling them what is about to take place. He said, not many days from now, you are going to have this experience where you're going to uh, be empowered by the Holy Spirit and you're going to bear witness of the Gospel. You're going to bear witness of the story of my death, my burial, and my resurrection, and the hope for all of mankind that comes as a result. And bear witness, they did. That's exactly what begins to take place. The book of Acts certainly is a descriptive book of what happened in the life of the church, of this early church. And some would say that there are elements of this book that are prescriptive for how we should do some of the things that we do. In this case, He says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we will be his witnesses. They certainly did that. I want you to look and just see some examples of ways that the first church did this and the ways that in the same way that our physical body, uh, the DNA in our body empowers us to grow physically, God has empowered us by his Holy Spirit for growth. And there are four ways that I want us to see that that growth begins to occur in us once we begin our journey of following Jesus. But he says that you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. If you look down to verse 15, one of the things that we discover is there, by this time we're about 120 who were gathered together. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And he began teaching them or talking to them about the need for replacing Judas, this disciple who had betrayed Jesus. They replaced him with a man named Matthias. Then we we'll go down to chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible tells us that... When the day of Pentecost had fully come, that there were, uh, they were all there in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it goes on to speak about their being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're beginning to proclaim bear witness proclaim this gospel to tell the story about the death burial and resurrection of jesus now what was unusual about it was that god gave them unusual tongues to be able to communicate this message in a language that other people could understand if you look at verse uh, 9 the bible says there were parthians and medes and uh, elamites uh, dwelling in mesopotamia and judea and cappadocia and pontus and asia and phrygia and pamphylia all these people were gathered from all these places were gathered there in jerusalem and the Bible says that they heard the gospel in their language. They understood the hope that was available to them in Christ. As Peter continues to proclaim this gospel, we get down to verse 38 in chapter two, we read these words. And he said to them, "'Repent and let every one of you be baptized "'in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, "'and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. "'For the promise is to you and to your children "'and to all who are far off, Uh, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow, you're talking about church growth. That is an explosive kind of growth to go from 120 to 3,000 in a single day. They did bear witness of the gospel just as Jesus had told them they would. But it didn't stop there. If you continue on reading in Acts, you go to Acts chapter 3, and you see that Peter encounters a man who is lame or crippled, and the man's asking for help. And Peter's response to him is this. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. This man was healed, and he stood, and he walked, and he praised God. That provided an opportunity for another sermon and another opportunity for a proclamation of the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 4 tells us this. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Continue on down in chapter 4. We discover that Peter and John are told not to ever preach again in the name of Jesus. Stop it. They reply that they can't help but speak of the things that they have seen and heard. They continue to bear witness of the gospel. In chapter uh, 4, verse 32, Luke describes the believers now, not in numbers, but just as multitudes as the gospel continues to be proclaimed as they bear witness of that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 28, we we find these words recorded that the high priest came to Peter and said, we've already told you, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And here's what he says. By now, your doctrine has filled the city of Jerusalem. You hear that? These people did exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they were. But you know what, the Holy Spirit not only empowers us to bear witness to the gospel, but the Holy Spirit also empowers us to mature in our faith. All of us have to grow up in our faith. Just like Samuel was born on this day 24 years ago as a little tiny infant, it was our responsibility as parents To make sure that he was fed, that he was bathed, that he was cared for, that he was nurtured and that he had the things provided for him so that he could grow up physically into a grown adult man to maturity. Well, in much the same way, when a person comes to faith in Christ, the Bible describes that as being born again. We are born again as this infant and we need others who will come around us, who will help us. The Holy Spirit brings those other people around us and helps us grow up and mature in our faith in Christ. Now, these early believers had grown, had come initially to faith out of Judaism. And there was going to need to be a different kind of growth that had to take place for them. There needed to be an expansion of their understanding of who it is that Jesus had died for. You see, for the Jewish people, they were looking for a Messiah to come and to redeem Israel. And to bring salvation to Israel. Did you hear the question in Acts chapter 1 verse 6? The question that these disciples asked Jesus, is, says, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom back to Israel? They were thinking here. God was thinking here. You see, the gospel was for all mankind. The gospel was not just for the Jews. And as we read through the book of Acts, what we see is that very expansion and progression of the gospel. It started in Jerusalem. And then there were Samaritans who began to believe and come to faith in Christ. And then there would be Gentiles that would come to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 10, do you remember Peter has this vision, Peter and Cornelius, uh, this, this vision of these uh, unclean animals coming down. And he it was a reminder to him, the Holy Spirit was helping him to mature in his faith to understand that while you may have thought the gospel was for your group, the gospel is for all. As hope for all mankind because of what Jesus has done for us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness to the gospel. He empowers us uh, to mature in our faith. Jesus said of the Spirit that when He comes, He will lead you into all truth. He said the Holy Spirit would be our counselor. The Holy Spirit would be our comforter. The Holy Spirit would be our teacher. He would be the one who would convict us of our sin. He would convict us of truth and righteousness. He would be the one who would bring about our conversion. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to faith in Christ, and He's the one who matures us in Christ. And so it was important. Jesus said it's necessary that that I go away so that the Holy Spirit may come to you." The Holy Spirit not only matures us in our faith or empowers us to mature in our faith, but he also empowers us to make disciples. Making disciples, this is exactly what Jesus had given the instruction to his 12 about. Uh, He said, you are to go into all the world and you're to make disciples out of all the nations. And you're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what we just saw. And then you are to do what? You are to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus made it very clear what their mission was, and it is our mission. In this series on mission, we are talking about what is the mission of the church, and it is clearly that of making disciples. We would define disciple in our church as a missionary follower of Jesus who loves God, who loves others, and lives the mission. What is that living the mission? It goes back to making disciples. You see, a disciple by definition is a disciple maker. If you're a follower of Jesus, what is he calling you to do? To go out and make other disciples. There's got to be some opportunity for us to take the things that we have learned and to pass those on to others. It is this mission of making disciples. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. Look back at Acts chapter 2. I want you to see the two locations. Where the church gathered. Look at verse 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Where did they do that? Look down at verse 46. And so, continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with, with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The early church had to make some big decisions. I mean, there are 120 of us. And now there are 3,000 of us at the end of the day. What are we going to do? Well, the practical thing for them to do was to find ways that they could gather and do the things that Jesus had called them to do. How are we going to make disciples? Well, they gathered at the temple courts. Now they didn't have a room like this in the temple where they could all just come in and sit nicely in the air conditioning. No, they had outside temple courts, courtyards, areas where they could gather at the temple and they could gather in large groups and worship. But the Bible says that they then moved from their house to house. And it was in that house-to-house setting that they found themselves engaged in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. What is that? Well, that would basically be what we have today as the New Testament. These are the writings of the apostles. Their teaching. What were they doing? They were teaching these new converts about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So we see four functions that are taking place in those groups. They are gathering for a time of teaching, of Bible study. They're gathering for times of prayer. They are gathering for fellowship to be able to share their lives together. And they are gathering uh, so that they might be able to break bread together. Scholars differ on their opinions on what that means. Certainly it means that they shared a meal together that they ate, but it also very likely means that they shared communion in those moments, that this breaking of bread was their time to be able to share in the remembrance of what Christ had done for them through the Lord's Supper important times of gathering for what purpose? For making disciples. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowered them and gave them the ability to do that. Now That passage concludes by saying, and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. What was going to have to happen with these new infant converts, these new spiritual infants? They too needed to be taught. They needed to be trained. They needed to be brought up as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Who was going to do that Actually, the people who would do that would be people who had just been trained and just been taught because we saw just a moment ago about that exponential growth, 3,000, 5,000, 15 to 20,000 multitudes, city after city after city. We continue to see where the gospel has gone. So when we think about this, it's important for us to recognize that new believers have a role in the life of the church, but they're not going to be new believers forever, our son didn't stay an infant forever. We would have been concerned if 24 years later he were still a little tiny baby. See, he grew up to maturity. And spiritually, we have that same responsibility to begin using the gifts that God has given us to help others to grow up in their faith. Another place I want you to see that the Holy Spirit empowers us is to multiply kingdom impact. And this really is just continuing on through the book of Acts. What we see here is that um, individuals, as they grew to maturity, they repeated the process and they began discipling other people. This exponential growth really began with Jesus. Don't miss this, that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted after his baptism. Forty days he was there in prayer and fasting. And when he comes out of the wilderness, what does he do? He forms a group. He starts a small group. He starts a group of 12 guys that he calls and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. For three years, Jesus invests his life in these 12 men. And these 12 men after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we see now 11 of them, we see them in places of leadership in this new church. And they are taking seriously everything that he taught them. And he said, now go and teach others to obey everything that I've commanded you. And they do it. And that growth is the beginning. And then we see the exponential explosion of growth. We're sitting here today because of the faithfulness of those men. By the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, we see that churches have been planted in Ephesus, in Antioch, Pisidia, in, Tro- in Troas, in Macedonia, in Derby, in Lystra, in Athens, in Corinth, and on and on and on the list goes. Now, those twelve men couldn't have done all that by themselves. They did that because they were empowered by the Spirit to bear witness of the gospel, to be on this journey of maturing in their faith, of making disciples, and then multiplying their kingdom impact through other people. We see it in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul meets a young man named Timothy. In chapters, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. We learn that Timothy is a believer and he's come to faith in Christ uh, probably at the influence of his mother and grandmother is what we learn later in Paul's letter to him in 1 Timothy. He takes Timothy with him on some of these missionary journeys that he's taking where he's planting other churches and taking the gospel to other cities. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul is writing to a letter to Timothy, this young pastor, and what does he say to him? Timothy, the very things that you saw from me by your own eyes, the things that you heard from me with your very own ears, because you remember we traveled together, we did these things together, you heard me preach and teach. He said, those things that you have seen and heard in me, those you are to to entrust into faithful men who will also be faithful to teach others. It's an exponential kingdom impact. It's multiplying the influence and impact of that kind of discipleship. So my question for you is, how's your growth? When I showed you those two pictures of Samuel just a moment ago, there's clearly a difference. You can see little child, grown man. And we can look at that and measure how tall, how much you weigh, all those kinds of things and see what differences there are. But what about you? From the day that you came to know Christ, the day that you repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus to today, What kind of growth is there? What's the fruit of your life? What fruit has been born out of that walk with Jesus through the years? I say to you that the instruction of Jesus is that we are to be engaged in the process of making disciples of others, helping others who are far from God find new life in Christ and those who come to faith in Christ helping them grow up to maturity in Christ. We don't do that in our own strength. We do that because the Holy Spirit indwells us And he leads us and directs our steps to do that very thing. In our church, we believe that we have a responsibility for helping people grow up in their faith. For helping individuals come to faith in Christ and helping them mature. How do we do that? We do it through our life groups in our church. It's what you heard in the video at the very beginning. People talking about the impact of this group on my life. How I was and how I'm different, how I'm changed, how I'm transformed by being together with a group of believers. It's important that we do that. You're going to continue to hear stories through this month about why life groups matter. Because see, we believe that life groups are the the method in which we will fulfill the Great Commission, helping people get connected to healthy groups where they can begin to grow in their faith. They're foundational for communication in our church. Our life groups really are the place where you have an opportunity to know other people and be known by them. It's a place where you can love other people, be loved by them, care for other people, be cared for by them. Life groups are a place where you get to serve other people and be served by them. Life groups are the place where we live out the one another's of Scripture. You remember those? Jesus said you're supposed to love one another. You need to care for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to pray for one another. Galatians 6 says we're to bear one another's burdens. Just a couple of weeks ago, got a message that a single lady in our church uh, had become ill and was in the hospital and uh, we were out of town, Jan and I were out of town on vacation and we got back in to town uh, and she has no relatives here in town immediately. But what was the amazing part about that was that the ladies who were part of her life group had already been engaged in being there with her, in being able to be of help And continue to be there by her side to continue to pray for her and to help care for her in a time of need. Life groups become this place where we get to bear one another's burdens. We have to share the load so that life is not unbearable. We believe that the Bible teaches really that God did not make us to live in isolation. He really allowed us and, and wired us to be made for relationship with himself and for other people. And so our life groups become opportunities and pockets of biblical community, places where you share meals together, places where you serve together. You see, if following Jesus was just about information, we could just give you a book to read, or we could just, you know, give you a video to download or a YouTube video to watch, but it's not. It's about being in relationship with Jesus and relationship with those he loves, See, we're called to love one another. The people that are a part of our groups, well, guess what? They're flawed and fallen just like you're flawed and fallen, just like I'm flawed and fallen. Uh, It's not always easy, but boy, is life better together. Now, Jesus had something to say that's important for us to recognize about this relationship with other people. We are mistaken if we think somehow that I can just, just me and Jesus got our own thing going. I don't need any other people in life. Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking about the judgment of the nations, and he says that in that day, the judge will say to one, I was hungry, and you fed me naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you came to visit me. And one might respond with, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or naked and clothe you or sick and in prison and come visit you? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. The Apostle John picks up this idea about love and hate, and he says, How can a man say that I love God, who I can't see, but I hate my brother, my fellow man, who I can see? And his implication is that's really impossible. You see, God did make us to be connected with each other. And our groups become a vehicle and a way for us to do that. We believe that life groups matter in the life of our church. We believe that it's through those groups that the Holy Spirit uses those relationships with other people to build us up, to strengthen us, to challenge us, to confront us, to teach us, uh, to encourage us, to inspire us, to pray for us. And what happens in that network of groups is powerful. You're going to continue to hear about that again in the days to come. A group in our church, we believe, can be four to ten people. It's not, it doesn't have to be huge. It's not about the size of the group, it's about the relationships that occur. There are really the three characteristics of those groups they need to be relational in nature, they need to be intentional about making disciples of other people, and they need to be reproducible. And for that reason, the things that we call upon leaders to do with groups is not something you need a seminary degree to do. You're able to take the Word of God and be able to look together at what God's Word says and help each other learn to walk in that. It is not an impossibility. There really are three options today that I want to encourage you, challenge you to take a step in related to groups in our church, and they're simple and we will be brief and we will be done. There are three things that I want to challenge you to do. If you're not connected to a group, you need to join one. You need to find your life connected with a group of people who will help you grow in your walk with Christ, who will challenge you, help lead you to maturity, help you find ways to use your gifts to serve this body of Christ. Uh, I hope you heard those testimonies. I hope you heard people expressing what value and meaning they attach to the groups that they are connected with. We want you to be known in this church, and it's impossible for every pastor to know everybody in this body of Christ but through your life groups, you have the opportunity to be known. If you're not connected to a group, you need to join one. Second option is I want to ask you to lead one. What do I mean by lead one? Well, we have groups that are in existence currently that will have opportunities for new people to step into places of leadership this year. Thanks to the United States Navy and other branches of the military, God brings the most amazing people into the life of our church every year the two couples that you saw in that video, one Marine, one Coast Guard, couples that have come here within the last year. What a blessing to our church that God would bring new people into this fellowship. We believe it's a wonderful gift, but you know that same branch of the military in a couple of years will move those people right on somewhere else and we're also blessed by that. We don't regret that because we believe that God gives us an opportunity to invest in making disciples during that window of time And those individuals will take the gospel to their next duty station and God will use them to multiply their kingdom impact. But what that means for us is that today we have a family in Hawaii, we have families in San Diego, we have families in Jacksonville that were here just a few weeks ago serving in preschool or children or student ministry. And guess what? They're not here today. They need replacements. Uh, It's the time of the year that we are asking people to step up into the new places of leadership I'm going to ask you today to do something maybe bold for you to say, I need to step out of my comfort zone and I'm not going to be just sitting in a group as a member of a group and joining a group, but I'm going to let God use me in some way to begin to make a difference in helping someone else on their journey of becoming a missionary follower of Jesus, helping them learn to love God, love others, and live the mission. If you're not leading one or joining one, I'm going to ask you to start one. September the 8th, the pastor is going to be starting a new sermon series on the book of Proverbs. And the focus of that study is going to be on wise living, finding wisdom for living our best life from the book of Proverbs. We're calling out today 50 people to join us on that journey with starting a new group. Now again, a group could be four people at your workplace. It could be two neighbors or three neighbors that would come and join you uh, in your home. It could be some folks, some friends who would meet you at Starbucks for a coffee and an opportunity to sit down and engage together over where we can find wisdom and how we live out the wisdom the Bible teaches us to live with. We're going to provide training for people. We'll provide four opportunities on Sundays or Wednesdays. You just need to attend one of those trainings. We'll put some tools in your hands. We'll answer questions. We'll give you some skills that you need to help you engage in other people. You may think, I don't know who's going to come. I don't know who's going to come either. But what I can tell you for sure is that no one will come if you never extend an invitation and say, hey, I'm thinking about getting together with a group of four or five people just to look at God's Word to see how we could find some wisdom. Would you be willing to join me? If you'll do that, you'll be amazed to see that God will actually call some people to say, yes, I think I'll join you for that. And you'll be on a journey that I believe is going to be an adventure that's going to be rich and rewarding. That's coming up in September and we'll be doing some things in the next four weeks to help you be prepared and equipped to do that. Here's what I want you to see today. The apostle, um, or Peter, called out men and women. Uh, He called them out boldly. Acts chapter two, verse 38. And he said, repent and believe and be baptized. 3,000 in that day were. It's an amazing thing to see what happens when the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to accomplish the work that he's called us to do. And I believe that this church, to continue to be faithful in its witness, has got to continue to reach out to new people, has got to continue to take the gospel. We can't sit back on the laurels of good things that have happened in days gone by. There are lost people in your world who need to hear the gospel. People that are far from God who need to find new life in Christ. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, he has empowered you by his spirit. He's called you to help take the gospel to them. There are people in your life you know who need to take some next steps in growing up. And so for you, I want to ask you to be bold and allow God to use you to do something maybe you've never done before. Will we train you? Sure, we'll be glad to help you with that. We'll come alongside of you and equip you to be able to make that kind of kingdom impact on the lives of others. There's I want to close. I want to ask you if you would take a blue card. There's a bunch of them up here from folks from previous services. And I'm going to ask you to take a blue card that's in the pew somewhere near you. And I'm going to ask you to just write your contact information on one side. And I want you to actually just put two words on the back. Those two words are either join one. If you're not a part of a group and you need help joining a group, you need us to assist you with finding a group that would be just right for you. I want to do that. I just want you to write on the back, join one. If you're currently leading a group you're planning to continue to do that, just write lead one on there. We've got cards out there I know already that some of you have already received, but you can participate in this today. Just let me know you're going to continue to lead one. Or if you are willing to step up and say, hey, I would be willing to be used wherever I'm needed here in our church. If our church needs me in three-year-olds, I'm there. If they need me in seventh grade, I'm there. I'm willing to be used however I'm needed. Would you please write lead one on there? And if you'd be one of those people that would say, I'm, I'm willing to start one of those sermon-based groups. I'm willing to start one of those groups with a handful of people to talk about how to find daily wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I'll do that. Please just write on there, start one. That's all I want you to write down, start one. Two words, join one, leave one, or start one. I'm gonna ask you to respond because it's an opportunity for you to make this a memorable day. Not the memorable day of the birth of a child, not the memorable day of the birth of a church, but a memorable day when you said, I'm going to take a step in my own growth, letting God use me to do something that maybe I've never done before. Because it is in the doing that we experience much of the growing. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray. While I pray, I'm going to ask you, just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? If God calls you to write down, join one, leave one, or start one, I need you to do that. And I want you to put it on the back of that card. I'd love for you to just come up here and lay it up here. You can drop it in one of those boxes on the way out either way. But I want to encourage you today to recognize that as this early church grew exponentially, they did so because the Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness of the gospel. Allow him to fill you with his spirit and use you for his purposes, for his glory today. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to be obedient to you. You told the disciples that they were to go and teach others to obey everything that you commanded us to do. You've commanded us to love others. You've commanded us to go into the world and make disciples. Father, I pray that in whatever way you have gifted us, and that you've wired us individually, I pray that we would recognize today that our mission is very clear, God, that our mission is to make disciples. And so I pray that for each one of our lives, fruit would be born that would remain for all of eternity, that would, um, would show itself in the others who are followers of Jesus and growing in their faith, because we've allowed you by your Holy Spirit to work through us to help others grow to maturity in Christ. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.